Thank you for checking out this podcast from Mountain View Christian Center, a place to connect. Well, if you're taking notes, and, and you ought to, because 75% of what you learn is what you reinforce. I had a science grade, a science teacher in the sixth grade tell me that. Well, she didn't just tell me, she told the entire class. And she told us while she was telling us, you're going to take notes from the time you get in here till the time you leave. So we all learned how to take notes. But 75% of what you learn is what you reinforce. And I still remember things. Sixth grade science. Things like kingdom phylum class order family genus species. Couldn't tell you what it means, but it has something to do with animals and plant life. But I remembered it because I wrote it down. So if you're taking notes, and I think you should, you can start with this one. I'm struggling with the title this morning. I'm struggling with either, and and so you can pick whichever one you like and put it down. Either eat right, exercise, and die anyway, or get below the surface. Eat right, exercise, and die anyway. That's going to happen, right? Or get below the surface. We're going to be in, we're going to start out eventually in 1 Timothy chapter 4. While you're going there, 1 Timothy chapter 4, let me ask you this. Have you ever felt like you're just wasting your time doing something? You ever felt like you're just, you're just spinning your wheels? I mean, it's something that you're supposed to be doing, but you, you do it and you do it and you do it and you don't see any results? I have. In fact, I, I am. Let me just get it right out here this morning and tell you I am experiencing that very thing right now. I'm going through physical therapy. I had surgery on my shoulder. I've been wearing a lot of long sleeve shirts because my right arm now is about as big as Deb's arm. And that's not, that's not necessarily the worst of it. I know that as I get older, I'm not going to have the, you know, the same physique that I had when I was a young man. I regularly, I thank God that I chose not to get a tattoo when I was in the Army. I was going to get a, a ticked-off, muscle-bound Donald Duck. It's not that it was Donald Duck that I'm glad I didn't do it. I, I'm glad I didn't do it because my arm is not near as big, and Donald would be taking up a whole lot more area on me, and that would just look silly. Besides, who really needs a muscle-bound, ticked-off Donald Duck on their arm forever? But I know, you know, as I get older, things are going to happen, but, you know, I'm, I'm not older. Really. I mean, sort of. But I've got this, I've got this shrunk-up arm and that's not the worst of it. The worst of it is I've got this old man's skin now where there used to be muscle. Now there's just skin dangling there. It's just like, it's annoying. I was telling a physical therapist the other day, and I said, you know, this is really annoying. I said, I go in for surgery, and I'm, you know, I'm in okay shape. Sure, I've got an injury, but I'm in, you know, I'm in pretty good shape. I said, but, you know, I keep, I keep grabbing my arm here, and I, I said, I, I kid you not, it feels like the surgeon went in there took the muscle out, and replaced it with a balloon full of mayonnaise. It's just sad. But, you know, it it seems like no matter what I do, so I'm doing this physical therapy, and, okay, I'm I'm not Hulk Hogan. I know that. I'm not Arnold Schwarzenegger or whoever the big guys of the day are now. But I used to be able to hold my own, and now he's got me working out with like these half-pound girly weights that my four-year-old granddaughter could be slinging around. And it hurts, and it's wearing me out. I'm just like, believe me, you can't look cool. You can't look tough. There's, There's girls going in there doing physical therapy, and they're like kicking my backside. This is just embarrassing. Times I just want to quit because you know what? When I'm not in there sweating and, and lifting that half pound weight, then I'm icing my arm, I'm icing my shoulder because it hurts. It aches nonstop. And I feel like, you know what? This is just dumb. 
If I just, if I, you know what, I could take some ibuprofen and I could, I could just live, just go through life and, and it'd be all right to only be able to lift my arm this far because it wouldn't hurt. And how many times do I, I got a left arm I can wave, you know? I can adapt, I can cope, I can, I can whatever. Sometimes you just feel like what you're doing isn't getting you where you want to go. And it can be frustrating. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning that you would guide and direct my tongue, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. I ask that your Holy Spirit go where I can't go, to the very heart of each and every one. Lord, would you be magnified? And Father, would we leave this place today knowing you better, being encouraged, Lord, excited, excited about serving you, even in the little things. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me give you a little, a little recap. I told you a little bit. July 16th, uh, we were doing this, doing this right across Idaho. So July 16th, I remember it because it's my dad's birthday. First day, halfway through the day, I crash. It's happened before, not a big deal. I crashed, but I'm, I'm racing down this hill, and, and this is the fortunate thing. Everybody was way behind me, so nobody saw it. So I'm racing down this, this trail, and I turned my camera off because we had been up the trail. It was a wrong turn, uh, but we made it. And coming down, and I'm jumping off these water diversion cuts, and the very last one is cut back, and it grabs the front end of my bike, and it sends me in a somersault. And I come down, and I'm thinking as I come down, because I try to do that quite often, that not come down, I try to think. And, and I'm thinking as I'm coming out, oh, it's gonna hurt. Don't break anything. I, really, I said that to myself, don't break anything. Just don't break anything. Just don't, bam, and I hit the ground and I start sliding and I realize my arm is pinned under the bike and it's pulling, 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 and I'm skipping across stuff. I'm like, well, I'm not dead, but it's pulling, 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 pow, it pops. I'm like, okay, I don't think it's broken. I came to a stop and I, Pick the bike up and goes pow, and it goes back in. And I thought to myself, you know what? Two pops are better than one. I get up and I look, and nobody's there. I'm like, sweet, nobody saw it. It doesn't count. Rolling my arm around. All right, I better get down a little bit further so they see me on the bike. So I hop on the bike. I start it up, and I get down to the to the T in the trail that I was waiting for. I pull out my camera. Nobody's there. I pull out my camera, and I'm thinking, what do I look like? So I, I took a selfie. Take a selfie. That time my daughter texts me or something. How's it going? And I, hey, I've got service. So I sent her a picture. She texts back. She says, oh my gosh, dad, you're bleeding. What happened? I said, bleeding? What? So I look at the picture and my glasses had cut my, had cut the bridge of my nose. Oh, no, no big deal. I take another picture of my, of my, the only outward injury I had, a little bit of skin gone on my arm. I've got, I've got flora. That's the scientific word for brush. I'm telling you, sixth grade science. I got flora stuck in my helmet, stuck in the visor. I see this. It looks kind of, I was looking at the picture just, just the other day. I thought about sharing it with you, but I didn't. I got stuff stuck to me, so I'm pulling it out. Before, and I, pretty soon I hear a bike come, so I'm going to get real quick, take the helmet off. I'm just chilling, just relaxing, just waiting. The only evidence that I had that anything had happened, a little bit of dirt on my arm and a little bit less skin than what I had, one little dribble of blood, big deal. Everybody gets down, hop on the bikes, and we go. Finish up that day. That night, I don't hardly sleep for beans, keep waking up, but big deal. Morning, get up, get on the bikes and go. Third day, same, well, I, was, I, I could tell I was getting fatigued, but you know what? It's working, so whatever. I can deal with this. Get home. And a month later, I'm not one that likes to rush into anything. So a month later, it still hurts. And a month later, I'm waking up four and five times a night, not sleeping through the night. So maybe I ought to do something about it. Maybe I ought to go and see if there's something wrong. But see, I'm kind of, I'm kind of I, I'll admit, it, I'm kind of a little bit, just a little bit prideful. But in a good way, you know, like a man way. Is that good? Any, any men want to say amen? Come on, don't, don't sit here lying to me. A little bit prideful. Like, Here's the thing. I don't want to go to the doctor and be told, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. Because then it's a waste of time. 
And I feel really stupid. I don't even like going to the doctor when there is something wrong with me and they tell me nothing we can do for you. That's a waste of my time. I broke my pelvis in two spots, went into the doctor. They're like, oh, yeah, you broke a rib and broke your pelvis in two spots. Um, go home, take these drugs. There's nothing we can do for you. Like, what a waste. Why did I even come in here? If you can't do anything for me, what's the point? Well, we were checking for internal injuries. I don't know. So I'm dealing with that for a month. I'm like, eh. So I'm laying in bed one day. This, is, this was kind of the kicker. Got me to go. I'm laying in bed, and I wake up, and I stretch. And my arm pops and my hand hits me, well, my right hand hits me in the face. Because it just popped out. It just, and now my arm hurts really bad and my face hurts. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should go in. So long story short, and I know you're thinking too late. I go in and, uh, you know, they check it, send me to physical therapy. They take x-rays, don't show anything. They take an MRI, and they, oh, it'll be a few days. They called me before I even got home. Oh, you got, a, you got a labral tear. I said, what in the world is that? Oh, it's a piece of cartilage. I'm like, again, just, it's, it's a nothing. It's, I went in there, I wasted all this time, wasted this money, I'm going to get a bill because it's nothing, because it's a labrum. What in the world is a labrum? How important is that? Turns out it is. So they said, well, you... You're going to need to talk to a surgeon. They never, they, you know, my doctor never looked at it. They never read it. They're just going off the reports. Got to talk to a surgeon. So I go talk to the surgeon. Yeah, we need to do surgery. Here's your options. You can either do surgery or not do surgery. I'm thinking, that's, wow, that's something new. I can either do it or don't do it. I said, well, if I don't do it, is it going to get better? No, it'll never get better. You exercise, get stronger, keep the muscle up, and it'll just never get better. I'm like, so I'm 47 now. I can go to the gym now, but what if I hit 50? I don't want to go to the gym anymore. Oh, well, then you'll get weak and it'll fall apart again. Uh, not a good option. All right, well, we'll do surgery. So I said, oh, by the way, nobody ever showed me the pictures. I mean, is this just a minor thing? What's the deal? He goes, oh, no, it's fairly significant. He said, it's, if you look at it, you know, it's like if you look at it at 360 degrees, it looks like you tore about 270 degrees of it. I'm like, oh, well. All right, whatever. Go in and do, they, they actually schedule the surgery, do the surgery, come out, and now they tell me, oh, no, it was like 330 degrees. So I'm hanging on by, a, by 30 degrees of cartilage, whatever. Like, okay, this is good. And I'm thinking, this, this is okay, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I was praying that God would heal me so I wouldn't have to go through the surgery, but I, he didn't. So I go through the surgery, God uses surgeons, it's okay. Then I'm stuck in a sling for six weeks. And that's when all the deterioration of my, my muscle mass is gone. It's just gone. And then, as I said, I start physical therapy, and now I feel like I'm just, I'm going backwards. It's, it's frustrating. You know, here's the truth of the matter. And all that big, long story, we'll get a spiritual tie-in in a minute, but in all that big, long story, you know, I told you the only outward evidence that I had was a little scratch on my arm. The fact of the matter is, a lot of times, our issues lie deep beneath the surface. You, know, you might look at your neighbor, your friend, your coworker. you might look at your, your sibling or your spouse, you go, well, hey, everything seems okay, I don't really see much going on, and you, you know, you're, not, you're not not smiling, you're not crying, I don't, you seem fine. But how many of you know, a lot of times the problem is not on the surface, it's, it's below the surface. We've got to start paying attention to the things that are below the surface. No matter how good you are on the outside, no matter how good you are at acting like everything's good, the fact of the matter is, is that there's some things that are not going to get better without intervention. My shoulder would not get better without a surgeon reattaching. They drilled six holes, put six anchors in there, and then put some, I don't know, some kind of sutures and pulled everything together. And it would not get better on its own. And there's some things in our lives beyond the physical, that aren't going to get better until we have some outside intervention. We allow somebody to get below the surface in our lives. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Paul is writing to his young friend. And he says to him here, he says, look, Physical exercise is of some value. But godliness has value for all things, 
holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. It's, 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 in other words, it's good for us to exercise. I mean, there's some benefits to exercise. I don't, I, personally, I don't see the benefit of, of going in and drinking all those protein stuff and, and getting cut and chiseled and standing in a mankini in front of a whole bunch of people. I, I will not shave my body or get lathered up with, you know, spray on tan or whatever. I, of course, I'd look kind of silly anyways. But to me, I, I don't see the point in that. That's me. I mean, if you're into that, whatever. But I don't see the point. Of, but I, I think exercise is a good thing in that it, you know, I do it because I want to be able to ride longer. I want to be able to hike longer when I'm hunting. I want to be able to, to do the things that I enjoy longer and, and to not be so winded when I do it. And so I'll take the time to go into the gym to, and to work out and to exercise. And that's good, but you know what? Like I said at the, at the start, you can eat right, you can exercise, and you're going to die anyway. This life is only so long. Every single one of us, from the time we were conceived, were stamped with an expiration date. If that's a shock to you, I don't know where you've been. We've all got an expiration date. And, you know, outside of, like, suicide, there's nothing you can do about it. God has numbered your days, and he, he knows the days and the plans that he has for you. The biggest question that you have to answer is, are you going to get on board with his plan? Or are you going to run about with your own? Because one day he's going to punch that card, and you're going to stand before him. I, had a, I lost an aunt a few years back, and uh, she was diagnosed on Christmas Eve with pancreatic cancer. And they dove in, and they started doing everything that doctors could possibly humanly do. And, and on top of that, because we're a, a believing family, believes in prayer, we've seen my mom healed from cancer. We've seen all sorts of great things. We all began to pray. And this one day, I'm praying for my aunt because I'm getting the reports that things are not going well. She's, she's getting worse. I'm praying one day, Lord, and I'm just talking to him about Rhoda and asking him to intervene and asking him to, to bless her, to bring healing. And he stopped me and he says, let me tell you, this cancer has not shortened her life by even a day. What? This cancer, as, as horrific as it is, as bad as it is, as frustrating as it is, you need to understand it has not shortened her life by even a day. And we had a little conversation about that. And what I came to, to grips with was that really, and, and this might sound strange to anybody that's dealt with or is dealing with cancer right now, but what I came to grips with, what I came to realize was that cancer in a way, in a sense, was a blessing because we knew that her time was drawing short. We didn't want to see her go, but it gave us the opportunity to be very intentional about getting up and seeing Aunt Rhoda, about talking with her, about telling her how much we loved her, about saying thank you for all the things that she's done. The cancer didn't take her away from us. The Lord took her. He said, it's time. Your mansion's ready. Come in and take up residence. The cancer didn't take her away. It didn't even shorten her life. God said, it's time. We've all got an expiration date. We don't know when it is. We ought to take that and, and say, hey, let me make the most of every moment that I've got. Let me take and, and, and make the most of, of every day. You know, I, I, it's one of the sad things. I'm guilty of it too. You know, you go to, I was at a funeral yesterday and you think about, well, you know, we got to make sure that we're telling our loved ones how much we love them and how much we care. And then we, we, we get serious about that for, you know, a day and a half, two days. And, and pretty soon we're kind of back because we're, you know, we're human. We're just kind of a mess that way. I think we need to be very intentional about just loving life and loving people and loving the Lord and, and taking advantage of, of what he's given us. So anyways, let's, let's move back to the, 
to the point physical exercise has some value, but he says godliness has value for all things. And I've underlined this in my Bible. I've highlighted it. It has value for all things. It holds promise for both the present life and the life to come. If I live a godly life, if I live a God-fearing life, and I don't mean just going through the motions, but I've got a relationship with Jesus Christ, believe you me, it affects my here and now as well as my eternity. It affects the way that I live. It affects my outlook on life. It affects my relationship with my wife and with my kids and with, and with my friends and with my enemies and my frenemies and everybody else that I happen to run into. Godliness, having this relationship with Jesus Christ holds benefit for me now as well as in the future. Paul wrote in another place, he said, you know, if, if godliness holds blessing only for now, because he was talking about the resurrection, there's a group of people said that resurrection doesn't happen. Blah, blah. He says, look, if we're not resurrected and, and godliness is a blessing only now, then we're to be pitied more than anybody else. And this is the apostle Paul. This is a guy that, that wrote most of the New Testament. He had a, if you will, a direct line to God. He says, if the benefit is only for here, and nothing once we die. Man, we should, we're, we should be pitied. But the fact of the matter is, is that it does matter for later on. Jesus is coming again. He's going to call us forth from the, from the grave one day, and we're going to live with him forever. But that's not the only benefit. That's not the only. I've got a blessing now. And so when I started thinking about how I ought to live my life, I really should put those spiritual things on top. I say all that because I know in a room this size, there's a really good chance that some of you here today are spiritually frustrated. You may not be too physically frustrated, but some of you here today are spiritually frustrated. You've been going through the motions faithfully, but you're not seeing the results that you want in the time frame that you want. Oh, you've been... You've been praying, you've been asking, you've been fasting, you've been giving, you've been witnessing, you've been, you've been doing all the things that a good Christian ought to do, but you're not seeing the results that you want to see. And, and it's frustrating, and you're frustrated, and you know what? We all get frustrated. That's, we don't need to be ashamed of that. But let me give you a, a few things to chew on. Just as with my shoulder, as I said earlier, a lot of times there's things that are beneath the surface, things going on that we don't know about, both in us spiritually, but also in God's response to us, there's things going on that we are not aware of. If we look at us first, we can go to James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. And, and James, he just kind of sums up. He says, look, you don't have because you don't ask. So the first part of that is, well, if I don't have, am I asking? If I don't have the things that I want, if I don't have the things that I need, am I asking for those things? If I'm not asking for them, I shouldn't be surprised that I don't have them. So some of the problems, some of the issue might be with me being confident enough that I can go to the Lord and ask him for the things that I want, that I need, et cetera, et cetera. But then James doesn't stop. He continues. He says, but when you ask, you don't get because you ask with wrong motives that you might just spend the blessing on yourself. So sometimes we don't get what we want because we're not asking God for it. But there's other times that we don't get what we want even though we're asking because God's saying, look, you're going to blow it, you're going to waste it. You don't even have a good reason for wanting that. Why in the world would you want $1.5 billion? I can think of a few million reasons why I might want $1.5 billion. But in reality, I don't think that I could spend one and a half billion dollars. I don't have a need for a fleet of 747s. I don't need, nor do I want a big house, because if I have a big house, then I got to clean a big house. Not interested. 
In fact, I really think they're a struggle. If, if, I, if I came into a whole bunch of money right away, honestly, I think I would have, a, I would, this is just me, I would probably struggle with being a good steward of my time because I'd say, hey, you know what? I, you know, I, don't, I, don't have to, I don't have to check in at the job to get paid, so you know, I'll go on a missions trip. I'm just talking about, you know, it probably involved motorcycles and ministry somewhere, but I might not be a good steward. God saved me from that. Give me neither excess nor too little, because if I have too much, I might forget you, the, the, the psalmist wrote. And if I have too little, I might steal and disgrace your name. So part of the problem might be with us. Either, either we're not asking or we're asking with wrong motive, and we ought to check our motive. Is God going to bless us just so we can walk around and say, hey, look at my blessings, or does he bless us that we might be a blessing? He blesses us that we might be a blessing. We can get so caught up in the, in the things that we see and the things that we hear and the things that we feel, the things that we experience that we forget that God is working where we can't see. Okay, so we get so focused on what we want or what we think we want or what we think we need. We get so caught up on the feelings, on the, on the senses that we have that we can forget that God is working in areas that we can't see in an area beyond our senses. Why else do you think Paul would, would admonish us to remember that we walk by faith and not by sight. That's a, good, that's a good thing to remember. Or it's by faith you walk, not by sight. I want you to consider when we, when we think about not seeing the big picture, we think about the things that we're not seeing or feeling or tasting or, or what have you. When you think about a guy by the name of Daniel, he's, he's, he's a guy in the Bible. He's got a book named after him. He wrote the book. He had a pretty rough beginning well, I mean, you know, he was born into royalty, but then his country was overrun, his family was killed, and he was, he was taken to the enemy's camp, and he was neutered, and then he was put into service. He was going to learn about the Babylonians. He had a pretty rough life. He grew to be the number two man in three different kingdoms. As one kingdom would succeed the other, one kingdom would come in and wipe out the other. He just stepped up and kept being the number two guy because God just opened the door and blessed him. You know, he didn't always feel good about the way life was going. Can you believe that? He didn't always feel like God was answering his every prayer. I'm sure he would have rather stayed in Jerusalem than in Babylon. But there was a time in his life that he had received a vision from the Lord. This is towards the end of the book of Daniel. He received a, a vision and he began to pray about it. And by this time, you know, he was, it was towards the end of his life and he was he had already heard from the Lord several times and, and he knew the routine. And, and so he was praying to get the translation of this vision, the meaning of this vision. And it didn't come. And it didn't come. And it didn't come. And he prayed faithfully. I mean, we're talking about the guy that, that when, when he was told, if you pray to any God or man other than the king, you're going to get thrown in the lion's den. This is the guy that went up and opened his window anyway three times a day and prayed anyways. This is the guy that went to the lion's den, didn't care because he knew God was there. He faced down the lions. This is the faith of this guy, but you know what? He's praying and he's praying and he's praying and all of a sudden something's not happening. God is not hearing him. God is not answering him. He doesn't feel God. He doesn't hear God. He doesn't smell God. He doesn't taste God. He doesn't, doesn't experience God. And I promise you, he was probably starting to wonder what was going on. Why is God not hearing me? What have I done wrong? You ever been there? You don't have to answer. But eventually an answer did come in the form of an angel speaking to him. And the angel said this, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind 
to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard. Since the first day, your words have been heard. Let me tell you something. Daniel might have wrote part of the Bible. He might have had some pretty crazy experiences. But the Bible says that God is no respecter of man. God doesn't love Daniel any more than he loves you. And since the first day that Daniel set his mind to understand and, and cried out that first prayer, the angel said, God heard you. And let me tell you, no matter who you are, and no matter what situation you're in, no matter what stage in life, from the moment that you decide that you want to seek God and gain understanding, whether that moment is today or that moment was 20 years ago, he hears you. And he's sending the word. If we go on and, and listen to the rest of what this angel spoke, he says, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of Persia, prince of the Persian kingdom, resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Daniel, check it out. As soon as you prayed, God heard, and he sent me. And I've been on my way ever since, but I got detained by the prince of Persia. I got the prince of Persia was a fallen angel. It was a demon rose up to fight against him because he didn't want Daniel to get the message. He didn't want Daniel to find the encouragement that God had for him. He wanted Daniel to sit there and struggle and, and wonder and maybe walk away. That's what the enemy wants. He wants you to give up. He wants you to back off. He wants you to think that God doesn't hear. And you know what? Demons are powerful. And he, and, and he was fighting against this angel and detained him 21 days, 21 man days, 21 human days, sunrise, sunset, 21 times, kept him, couldn't get past him until another angel came and helped. Some of you might be on day 20. Think about that for a minute. I'm not saying we've got any evidence that God makes you wait 21 days. Let's not get into some numerology goofiness. Symbolically speaking, some of you might be on day 20. Don't give up. You might be, we might be turning into day 21 right now. Don't give up. 120 people in the upper room, Acts chapter 2. They were there for 10 days. And then the wind came, and then the fire came, and then the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. 10 days. But every single one of them was filled. 10 days. 120 people. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that, that Jesus appeared to over 500 people at, what time, at, at one time. I've got to wonder how many of those 500 were originally in that upper room. What happened to the other 380 people that had seen Jesus risen from the dead that maybe stood on the Mount of Olives and they saw him ascend into heaven that heard the angels say, what are you looking at? Jesus is going to come back the same way that he went. Now get busy with what he called you to do. I don't know how many showed up originally in the upper room. I'm just going to speculate, though. Let's just, let's just speculate that there was 250 people. It was a big room, let's say. But after two or three or four days, some people got tired. Some people said, you know, I've been gone, I've been gone from home for a week already, two weeks already. I've got to get back to work. I don't have sick leave. I don't have any vacation. I've got, I got, I got things I've got to do. I've got to rethatch the roof. I've got to, you know, check the tire pressure on the chariot. I've got to gas up the donkey. Well, that's better than the donkey gassing you up, right? <laughs> but after one or two or five days, some of the people left. After eight or nine days of nothing happening, more of the people left. I just imagine in my mind, again, I'm speculating because the Bible does not tell us. But I'm wondering about that one or two or three people that on that 10th day, 
said, you know what? I got to go. They walk out the door. They shut it. They're walking down the steps. They get three steps down, and they hear something going on inside. And they missed. We don't know the time that God is going to move. But he's going to move. You might not feel, hear, taste, smell anything from God. But don't buy into the idea that he's not moving on your behalf. He loves you. He's moving. Second thing you need to know, moving right along. God is not willing that his plans for you come to naught. I'll repeat that and say it a little bit slower because I want this one to sink in. God is not willing for his plans for you to come to naught, to fail. Well, are you saying I can't mess up and and God's going to pull us? But that's not what I'm saying. He'll allow it if you want to keep, if you want to keep, Banging your head against the door, he's going to let you get a headache. If you want to keep walking against him, walking away from him, he will let you, but he's not willing. That's not his desire. Even when you are so bullheaded and stubborn and take matters into your own hands, even when you try really hard and you mess up, God's not willing that his plans for you in your life come to not. He is constantly calling out, constantly asking you to come back, constantly wanting to restore you. Now, again, don't get me wrong. He will let you go away. He, the Bible doesn't say anything about once saved, always saved. That's, that's a dream that doesn't happen. You can easily walk away from the Lord if you want. Well, I mean, I should, maybe I shouldn't say easily. He will, he will put things in your path to slow you down. He'll, bottom line, he'll let you go, but that's not his plan. That's not his will. Think about Abraham. God had promised Abraham a son, but it didn't happen. For 10 years, for 10 years, he leaves home at 75. My, I'm so glad my kids left home when they did. I mean, I love my kids. I love my kids. I, really, I, I kind of wish my son would have stayed around a little bit longer, but, well, no, it was all right. He graduated, and he was gone that summer. I mean, yeah, whatever. I love my kids. I get spent, my son's coming out and bringing my grandkids today. But you know what? I'm, I'm glad they didn't wait till they were 25 or 30 or 75. God finally had to snap Abraham around a little bit. Say, hey, boy, you're 75 years old. Time to go. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to, I'm going to bless you in this, in this new land. And so Abraham takes off. And he walks after him. He's walking by faith, and he's doing the things he's supposed to do. But 10 years goes by, and he doesn't have the son. 10 years goes by, and the promise isn't fulfilled. 10 years, and he ain't getting any younger. Any 75, 80-year-old men here want to have kids? Again, at this any 65, 75-year-old ladies want to have a baby? I'm thinking Abraham's like, you know, it's taking a little while. And so Abraham, you can, you can look it up for yourself. I mean, this is in Genesis chapter 17. Abraham takes matters into his own hands. He listens. <laughs> I could use this to really pick on wives. I'm not going to because uh, I don't want to give, I don't want to give that kind of ammunition to husbands. But just suffice it to say, he listened to his wife. His wife said, here, take my maid, sleep with her, have a baby with her, and, and we'll count it as my kid. That was a cultural thing. They did that. Abraham was a man. And he says, um, okay. And so he sleeps with Hagar. She gets pregnant. He's thinking, you know what? I guess maybe this is the right thing. Maybe this is how God was. Baby, uh, baby's on the way, and Hagar starts having problems with Sarah, and they're just like, you couldn't see that coming. She goes off. The angel of the Lord appears to her. Says, "Look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bless you. You're gonna name this guy uh, Ishmael. He's gonna grow up. He's gonna have a lot of, a lot of kids. Blah blah blah. Twelve tribes." But Abraham, Abraham, here's this this monster of the faith. Here's this friend of God. He blew it because he didn't trust God enough. He blew it. Ten years of waiting. He takes matters in his own hands. He gets another baby that causes all sorts of problems in his home. 
And you would think, and I'm sure Abraham thought, you know what, I blew it. I'm just, it's, you know, it's, I'm just lucky that God still loves me. He didn't, didn't kill me for that. I'm glad he hasn't let Sarah kill me for that. And so God comes to him again in chapter 17 and, and initiates the, the covenant of circumcision. He says, I want you to be circumcised. I want you to circumcise your son. So Ishmael's 13 now. Abraham's 99. So he had 10 years where none of the promise, another 13 years of, well, his own fulfillment of the promise. God says, look, yeah, you blew it. You messed up, but you've humbled yourself, and I am going to bless you. I'm not willing that my plan get trampled to the ground just because you messed up once, twice. It's not to be good news for anybody that's ever messed up. He looked at the humble heart of Abraham. And if you, and if you look in, in Genesis 17, it's to verse 18, and God has made this promise to, to Abraham. And Abraham's humble response is this, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. What Abraham was saying is, you know what? I don't deserve it. I know I messed up and, and I've got this son and, and it, just bless him, Lord. Just bless. I don't deserve anymore. You know what God's response was? I am going to bless him because he's your son. I will bless him. He's going to be the father of 12 princes. There's going to be 12 nations that come from him. I'm, I'm going to bless him. But the original promise is still in effect. Your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son. You may have messed up, but God's not willing that his plans are for naught. But we've got to be like Abraham. We've got to humble ourselves. Repent, we got to step up to the plate. Might have messed up, it might, it might hurt, it might cost. But if we'll do things right now, if you'll humble yourself and trust and obey God, he's still got the plan. He's still God. He can still pull this thing out. I imagine God's conversation with Abraham went something like this. Look, I call things that are not as though they are. I spoke and the world came into existence. I sent my son to die for you when you couldn't care less. I've got this. Are you coming or not? Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says, God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. The gifts that he's given you, he wants you to use. The call that he's placed on your life, he's expecting you to step up and do something with it. And you may have blown it, you may have walked away, you may have done all sorts of stupid, stupid things. We just can't put it any other way. But if you'll humble yourself, repent, start over, he will restore you. That's just the kind of God he is. Move on. Number three, don't give up. Don't give up. Galatians chapter six, verse nine, we'll keep this short and sweet. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. You're getting tired, you're getting weary, you're getting worn out, you're wondering if I'm ever going to close this sermon. Don't give up. You'll reap a harvest. God's going to give you a special blessing when you get to heaven for having to put up with me. Don't give up. That's a, that's a promise straight from Scripture. At the proper time, now, his timing is not your timing. Sometimes we get lucky and my time frame and his time frame come together, but usually his time is over here and I'm over here going, come on. Don't give up. Don't give up. Dig in. And finally, I did say finally. Rekindle that first love. But all else, everything else, I mean, you're, you're starting to click on the other things. Do this. Rekindle that first love. Build the relationship. 
in the natural world, I tell you what, if, if more husbands and wives would do this, there'd be a lot less divorce. Where am I coming from? Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 2. This is the church of Ephesus, and they were being called out. And it wasn't all good. They got a little bit of anthemy. They're being called out. Not everything was good. Some of it, some of it was. I mean, listen to what it says, starting in verse 2. The Lord says to them, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. That's what we're talking about. It's good stuff. I know that you can't tolerate wicked men and that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you've found them to be false. You've persevered and you've endured hardship for my name, and you've not grown weary. That's good. That's all good stuff. We ought to, we ought to take notes on that. Look at verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. Like I said, if more married couples would grab hold of this and just apply it to their marriage, let's, let's forget about the spiritual application for just a moment. We'll get back to the spiritual application, but the, the physical life application. Husbands, dude, if you would just do the things that you did at first, to woo her, to win her, to impress her. You wonder why she's not happy with you sometimes because you're not doing what you did at first. Same thing goes for you ladies. Remember how you used to primp and take time to look good and to show up and now we wake up and you got dragon breath and your hair's all over the place. I'm not gonna say that about the guys because some of us just don't have hair that much. But if we in our marriages, in our relationships, would just do the things that we did at first, if we would just date our spouse, then, I don't care how long you've been married, date your spouse. Take her out. This week, let me give you some homework. This week, before next Sunday shows up, take your wife out on a date. Leave the kids home. Get somebody to babysit them. Don't call me. I'm not a good babysitter. Get somebody to watch the kids and take your wife out on a date. Ooh, here's an idea. Do something that she would like. Don't just do something you want to do. Man, impress her. Dress up. Take her to a nice dinner. Isn't she worth it? She's worth it. Ladies, do like you used to do when you first met and you just wanted to impress this guy. You wanted to set the hook. And, come on. Tell him how good he looks, even if you got to lie a little. Do the things you used to do. You'll be surprised. You'll be, the, you'll be surprised the impact it'll have, how it'll refresh your relationship. If you're not married yet, think about this, okay? Sometime down the road, you're going to be old and married, and you want to stay old. And, well, you might not want to stay old, but you want to stay married. Keep doing the things you're doing to keep it fresh. Now let's move back to the spiritual application. If that's true in the natural, it's true in the physical. Believe you me, it's true in the spiritual. We are called to a relationship with Jesus Christ, not a religion. Religion won't save you. Religion will frustrate you. But relationship, that'll give you something worth dying for. So go back and do the things that you did when you first came to the Lord. Remember how excited you were that that sin was gone? Remember how excited you were that you had this new relationship? Remember how you wanted to be in church? You wanted to pray? You wanted to talk to your friends? You wanted to tell people all about this Jesus? Go back and do it again. Go back and do it again. Without forsaking the persevering, without forsaking all the other stuff that, that the church of Ephesus got applauded for, don't forsake that, but go back and do the things that you did at first rekindle that first love. They needed to get back to basics. We need to get back to basics. Amen? Why don't you stand with me?
I did say finally, so we'll close. Lord, thank you. Fact of the matter is, Lord, sometimes we go through life and things just seem tough. Sometimes we, we go through life and we're doing all the things that we think we're supposed to be doing and, and we just get tired, we get wore out. We feel like nothing positive is happening. Lord, it's in those times we gotta step up and walk by faith. We gotta take you at your word, know that you're right there for us. Lord, this morning, I pray if there be any here today who have been struggling with that. Lord, maybe there's some here today that have, that have been thinking, I, boy, if God doesn't show up and answer me pretty quick, I'm just, I'm done. Lord, I pray that today would be their day to be refreshed. Lord, that today would be their day to be encouraged, to find that peace, Lord, to be charged up a little bit more and ready to go. And church, if that's you, if, if, if you're here this morning, you say, you know what, I just, I've been going through the motions. I've been doing everything. I just feel like I'm spinning my wheels. I've been getting frustrated. If that's you, would you just slip your hand? I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out and embarrass you. I just want to thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? You just feel like you thank you. You've been spinning your wheels. You're getting tired. Lord, you see the hands have been raised this morning. I pray times of refreshing, even now. Lord, I pray that they would walk away from here today no longer feeling frustrated. Lord, encourage that you do here and that you're doing things on your time schedule and that your time frame is going to work out better than theirs. Lord, this is going to take faith. It's going to take courage. It's going to take consistency. I pray that you pour all of those onto your people today. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning that you don't know Jesus. You've never made a, you've never come into a relationship with him, never asked him to be your best friend. That can change today. If that's you, it's time to, time to stop playing, time to start serving Jesus, start living for him. If that's you, just slip your hand up. I'm just going to pray for you this morning. Lord, again, I do thank you for each and every one here. Lord, by the lack of hands, I will just assume that all here have either accepted you or just aren't interested in accepting you. I pray that wherever they're at, Lord, that you would build them and bless them. Those, Lord, that know you, I pray that they would know you in greater measure. Or those that don't, I pray that you'd continue to knock on their heart's door or continue to express that love or that they might at some point surrender and come into this great life, this great relationship. And now, Jesus, as we get ready to, to depart from here, we get ready to go our own separate way. Lord, I pray not only would we be able to say it was good to be in your house, but I pray, Lord, that you would be able to say it was good to have us in your house. So now go with us today, Jesus. Draw us close and bring us back safely later in the week. In your precious name, amen. For more information, you can find us online at www.mountainviewchristiancenter.net.